6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. It is 11 o'clock at night in Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it's 1974. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome in, hello Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble.com. Rumble.com slash Sheldon is where you'll find us uh, live three nights a week, including tonight. It's a Wednesday, halfway through the week. Here in Malaysia, it's like holiday week. I mean, sort of going back to work Thursday, Friday, a few people. Most people, because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all holidays for Chinese New Year. So they took another couple of days annual leave and a whole week off. We are going back, my company, uh, tomorrow. But again, still sort of semi-working from home. So uh, not a whole lot uh, changes. But uh, yeah, we still got to be on the ball a bit. Um, doing well. Everything's going great. Uh, weather has been spectacular here in Malaysia. Usually around Chinese New Year, it gets incredibly hot. In fact, they call it Chinese New Year weather. But this year, not so bad. Uh, we've had worse recently. So, hey, it's time to get you updated on this, little lady. Miko update. Mimi, 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 Coco, Miko update. Uh, where's my camera? There it is. <laughs> not much to update. She's doing well. I told you on Monday. Not that you really need to know, but she is on her cycle. So, that's kind of cool. She's uh, she's doing all right. She's been a little moody lately, a little off her food. But uh, in general, she's doing very well. So missing someone a lot, but beyond that, doing great. Uh, so that's a very short little Miko update tonight. Uh, she's doing fantastic. And thank you for those of you who send me the messages asking about Miko. You don't care about me. You care about Miko. He's on my shirt tonight. It's one of our I'm Not Wearing Pants uh, shirts. You can get it at uh, our Miko merch place. All of our merchandise has Miko and our show logo on it, ball caps, stickers, uh, mugs, like that. There you go. There's our logo. There's Miko. And uh, anyway, you'll find the link in our show notes down below in the description here. Not not this thing. Uh, down Way down below that. Yeah. And then you'll... Thank you. Hey, hello to our podcast listeners. We're doing great on the podcast. We're almost doing better on our podcast than we do on our live video streams audience. So thank you. Appreciate it sincerely. Uh, if you want to listen to just the audio part of our show, which often is rather visual, but that's all right. We always give you the link so you can check it out, the stuff that we talk about. And uh, you'll find our podcast across all podcast platforms. Uh, Spotify. We're not as big as Joe Rogan, but we're on Spotify. Uh, and, uh, of course, Google Podcast, Apple, uh, Radio Public, Stitcher, you name it. Uh, Geosavin also in India. We have a big Indian audience. Thank you very much. And hello, namaste to all of our, uh, our viewers and, uh, and listeners in, uh, in India. Appreciate it. In addition to it being the second day of the second month of the 22nd year of the year 2000. It's one of those two days today. Uh, two, 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 two. Uh, it's also Groundhog's Day. 
which was a very cool movie starring Bill Murphy. If you never saw it, Bill Murray, uh, you got to check it out. Please do watch Groundhog Day. But it's also Groundhog Day because of a Punxsutawney Phil, who is from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Penny Martorell uh, posted this. It's a public uh, picture. But uh, yeah, Punxsutawney Phil, this is an American thing. It's from Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. And so you may or may not know about this if you don't live in the U.S. But this groundhog comes up out of his hole on the 2nd of February. And I actually thought it was the reverse, but apparently not. If he doesn't see his shadow, which means the sun is shining or not, if he doesn't see his shadow, it means an early spring. If he sees his shadow, it means six more weeks of winter. Well, this morning, bright and early, Punxsutawney Phil crawled up out of his hole and saw his shadow. So there will be, according to legend, six more weeks of winter. Not great news for folks in the Northeast who just got kind of lucked out against getting hit by some blizzardzilla they were predicting over there. So, uh, yeah, Punxsutawney Phil did see his shadow today, and so they say that means another six weeks of winter. Mm. All right. Our headline tonight, what do you make a month? How much do you make a month? Two grand? Three grand? Four grand? I'm talking about ringgit. Malaysian ringgit, last I checked, was 4.2 to USD. So for every one ringgit, it's worth... 4.2, 4.3 USD. Serena Lee, hello. Nice to see you, Serena. Thanks for popping by. I loved some of your posts today. I see you're out of Facebook jail again. That's always a good thing. Um, So anyway, yeah, one USD is uh, like 25 cent. It's ridiculous. Uh, Anyway, there was a story because some... Some minister or some government person, I don't know who it was, suggested that they start a class to teach people how to make roti chanai. Now, I'm guessing unless you're in Malaysia, maybe Indonesia, Singapore, you have no idea on earth what roti chanai is. Roti chanai, I'm telling you, there would be a big market for this in America. Forget the health nuts, you're never going to make it. But for those normal people, hi, Serena, for those normal people who just love to shove anything in their pie hole, roti chanai would be huge. And can you imagine picking up one for like 25 cents, 50 cents U.S.? Anyway, this minister guy, maybe it's in the article, suggested we start classes teaching people how to make roti chanai. It's not really that difficult. But check out this article from World of Buzz. The link is in our show notes tonight. This roti maker says the job in high demand and the salary can go as high as 10,000 ringgit. 10,000 ringgit for frying some bread. Ah, man, I am in the wrong business. Anyway, (laughs) 
check out the link in our show notes. Read the whole article. Uh, job is in demand. It's a good alternative for people who are jobless and not interested in academics. This here, let me get my mouse back. Uh, roti is roti chennai is it's a dough and it's in a ball and they flatten it out and stretch it sometimes if they want to be really fancy they'll toss it like this guy here in the picture here they'll toss it up in the air to get it wider it's mainly just for show and then basically you slap it on this griddle and you fry it you move it around you bunch it up and then you serve it with some dal or curry sauce. It's damn good. It's very filling. If there were a comparison for my audience in the U.S. and other places, it's kind of like when it's two o'clock in the morning and the club closes and you want to stop by Taco Bell to get some cheap crap food to stick in your in your tummy. That's what Roti Chennai is. A recent, oh, here it is. A recent proposal by Nagari Simbilan State Exo on starting a Roti Chennai Academy has sparked a lot of controversy among Malaysians. People think, you know, we're going backwards, you know, stupid, another dumb comment from a minister. I'll tell you what, it ain't so dumb. Some see it as an opportunity to help promote the country. Roti Chennai is very popular here, as well as a, a growth for the business. Um, Kamarul Rizal, the owner of restaurant Abang Turbang in Kuala Pila, Negeri Sembilan, is on board with the idea uh, proposed by the state EXO. He's actually approached by the latter to teach people to make roti chanai for an upcoming short course that's going to be implemented by the state. Now, before you laugh, think about it. You might not want to jump into it as a full-time job, but you might want to learn how to do it. Little do people know, look at this, Rodi Chennai Maker is in high demand right now, and some places will even offer you a starting salary of 200 ringgit a day. He said uh, through his marketing on social media, he managed to sell 500 pieces of Roti Chennai per day on a weekday and 700 pieces of Roti Chennai on a weekend. He's been making roti uh, since he was 14 years old, and working as a part-timer in a restaurant. Trial and error for 22 years, he finally managed to run his own Roti Chennai restaurant as the uh, maker himself. And uh, there you see him uh, with his little box of uh, dough and making the roti. He's uh, worked at over 10 restaurants, attempted to open his own restaurant three times, no avail, and failures in the past never deterred him. He kept trying. And now he's been running a successful Roti Chennai restaurant since August of 2020. Inspired by fellow Roti Chennai maker who made it to Brunei and has a monthly wage of 10,000 ringgit. That's nothing to sneeze at, folks. So laugh you might at the Nagari Simbilan Exo. Exco, I guess. He's, he's got a point. He really does. Little did we know, 10,000 ringgit a month for tossing some rotis and I. Imagine that. The link, if you want to read the whole article, please do give him the click. It's a World of Buzz. We thank it. Hat tip to uh, our friends at World of Buzz for uh, a <laughs> great story there.
Amazing. Can you imagine? All right. Uh, here, it's all frozen up. I don't know why. Let's uh, let's go. Oh, one of the things, we talked a lot, a ton. Our last show was like exclusively Chinese New Year. But, but I had to include this because one of the reasons there's very little to update about Miko is she hasn't been very active lately. The fireworks every night, less other than the first night of Chinese New Year. Last night, a little better. Tonight, better yet, but still some. And you know she hates fireworks. Well, I want to show you something. This is one of the reasons why... Uh, why why Miko's a little beside herself lately. Uh, one of the things we told you about in the original traditions was they would bang bamboo sticks, crackle bamboo, to try and uh, frighten the, the uh, demon Nan, Nyen, uh, away. And that eventually switched to fireworks. And I don't know if it's because it was the second day of Chinese New Year. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the tradition is. But they have these. You'll see them here in this picture. These long strings. I don't know if you can make out that. The picture's kind of tiny. But these are fireworks, all connected together in this huge string. And they put them out in front of their house or their business. They light one end and pop, 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 all the way up. Let me open up my sound here. And my voice is going to double for a minute. Just bear with it because you got to hear the sound. This is incredibly loud. But wait, it gets, but wait, there's more. So check this out. This is a very typical uh, firework tradition for uh, Chinese New Year. Here we go, watch this. They're just lighting it now. There you go. It's actually a bit subdued, but that's really, really loud. Those are normal fireworks. And it just keeps going all the way up the string. Usually at the end, there's one or two bigger fireworks that'll go pop, pop. You'll kind of know it's the end of the string. I'll let this play through. If you're listening to our podcast, you're just hearing the pop sounds. Here we go. Look at that. It just goes forever. All right, we're getting to the end now. We'll see if there's a couple of end bangs. Dang, that's a big one. And of course, all the old firework paper is littering the streets. There it goes. Right up towards the end. In fact, on our walk tonight, you can see a... Oh, there you go. There's a couple big ones. Ah, yeah. See, that? that's very typical. <laughs> of of what happens on Chinese New Year. On, I was saying on our walk tonight, uh, you could see a few houses that had done this this morning because they still had that, uh, that red paper everywhere. So what do you do when you want to light off the fireworks in front of your business, but you can't because your business is in a mall? Well, people have figured that out. Again, I'm sorry. I know my voice is doubled, but check this out. This is how some folks figured out a way to do it without actually using fireworks. Same effect. They're feeding this rope with all these balloons tied to it into a box. Go. And there you go. Ha! <laughs> huh. 
How cool is that? You got the same effect. Hopefully, Nyan will be afraid and run away in another direction. <laughs> All right, got one more for you. You got to see this. This is absolutely insane. I cannot imagine. This is, let me just see what this says. Johor Bahru in Malaysia, submerged water station 2.0. Apparently, they were just really, really concerned that they didn't want the evil spirits there because take a look at this. Yeah, I'm going to play the video in a second. You're not going to believe this. But before I do, it's already, look at that. These are all fireworks that have already gone off. It's started a huge fire. And you see this piled up here? These are more rolls of fireworks. It's going to be loud. This is called over the top. I mean, over. They just keep tossing them in. If you're listening on a podcast, you got to check this video out. Please do go to the link to our live uh, stream recording. Look at this. They're, t they're just tossing them all in. And away they go. Unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> that is insane. That's in Johor Bahru here in, uh, in Malaysia, in southern uh, peninsula Malaysia. Man, I'm telling you, that is absolutely nuts. Not to mention what it must have cost them. That is crazy. Anyway, uh, so I am quite sure they're going to have very good luck down there. All right, coffee break time. Stand by, sorry. Mm. Okay, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I found this today. It's really cool. Look, we don't always do controversial stuff. In fact, tonight we got nothing controversial tonight at all on the show. A couple of weird stories and a lot of strange things I find on the net that I want to share with you. And so we do, because that's what this show's about. Just hanging out, looking at the weird stuff Jay finds on the internet. Uh, this one is from themindcircle.com. Really cool article. Link is in the show notes. It is a bit visual, so again, on our podcast, sorry, but uh, just check out our video and you'll be able to see, or check out the link in our description down below. Uh, this is from, like I said, themindcircle.com, uh, and it is 10 plus mind-blowing photos of incredible cloud formations. What drew me to this, and you'll see it in a minute, is something called a circle cloud. It's a clock, you'll see, check that it's very rare, but these are mammatus clouds. Look at that. That is amazing. It just looks like a bunch of cotton balls with a light behind it. it these are incredible. Mammatus clouds, they're called. That's an amazing. Check that out. Insane. Beautiful. These are lenticular clouds. They look like, uh, what are those things called in the desert? They would be upside down. Uh, mesas? Mesas? I think it's called mesas. This is amazing. Look at that. Just absolutely flat bottom and top 
and you can see all the layers that run through it. That is absolutely incredible. There's another version of that uh, layered clouds. This is insane. Look at that. Ah, this is Mount Fuji. And this is a very famous picture. I've seen these pictures in all kinds of, of ways where this particular cloud formation caps Mount Fuji. It's absolutely amazing. Incredible. Uh, Undulatus asperatus is the name of these clouds. Looks like, uh, I don't know, kind of looks like a fur rug, I suppose. <laughs> um, oh, look how beautiful this is. It's like a painting. Again, these are the same style of clouds. Can you imagine if you saw that in the sky? You'd wonder if the end was near. That is incredible. Mother Nature is amazing, I know, but really. Look at this. Fall streak hole. A hole in the clouds with clouds behind and a rainbow from the ice crystals and the sunlight coming through. That's amazing. There's another version of it. And another. That is absolutely insane. Incredible. I think there's another page, so stand by while we get through all the ads here. <laughs> I just have to click. I had to click through. Because i got to show you that ball cloud. It is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I've never seen one. Look at these colors. Ah, incredible. I'm assuming this is from the ice crystals in the clouds. I don't know. I'm not a cloud scientist. But uh, look at that. looks like waves rolling in with the ocean down. But look, look at that. Are you sure that's not a jet stream and that's clouds? Crazy stuff. Uh, this has got to be a... It says that there are roll clouds. I would, um, I would think that was jet streams, but maybe not. It's awfully big to be a jet stream. That's amazing. Look at that. Again, I've never seen anything... Uh, Anvil clouds, they are. They're shaped very much like an anvil with the sun coming through. Wow. Look like a, oh, that looks like a mushroom cloud, huh? That doesn't look like good news. All right. I could not find that ball shot, but uh, it's amazing. Check out this article. It's from the Mind Circle, and the link to read the whole article, check out all the pictures, is, of course, in our, uh, in our show notes tonight. More weird stuff, because we're known for weird stuff. That's what we do. Nice little place to get away from it all and relax and forget about stuff for about an hour, three times a week, on I'm Not Wearing Pants. <laughs> Rollerblading. Do you know it started back in 1923 in Paris? Look at this. Check this out. Now we don't need the sound. You see that? Hang on, let me just go back and lock on this image here. Uh, it's a little blurry because it's very old. It's footage from 1923. But this guy has strapped on a wheel and his foot is on a, a kind of platform and there's a wheel and he's got one on each foot. Now check this out. With some like ski poles. And away they go. They got some brace that goes up to their knees. Look at this. This is the origins of rollerblading, which I don't think it ever came back in vogue. It was big in the 80s. Rollerblading was all the thing. But that is, look at that. There's a good shot of how it all works. Very cool. 
again, no big deal, nothing controversial here. But I just thought 1923 rollerblading origins origins would would, would be kind of cool, and it was. <laughs> Very weird. All right. Ah, uh, oh, this is <laughs> Dennis. Thank you so much for this. If my friend Dennis on uh, Facebook, Dennis Andrews, uh, posted this picture of an article. It's from the Register Citizen newspaper. I think I put the link to the post in our show notes. <laughs> I've told you before, I spent 20 over years in radio as a morning show host, as Captain Jay, the pilot of the airwaves. And uh, I was also at one time, just towards the end of an era, the general manager of that radio station, in addition to doing the uh, morning show there. And on January 31st, and I don't remember the year, I want to say it was about... 86, 1986, 1987, something like that. I, I don't remember. And the date, sadly, is not in this article. But don't laugh. Take a look at this. Do you know who that guy is in this picture right here? Huh? Can you figure it out? <laughs> hey, I said don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. That's me, and no, that is not a dye job. That's how red my hair was at one time. Anyway, this article is about the end of, truly the end of an era. Uh, WSNG, uh, Sing 61, was the local Torrington radio station. I uh, not only cut my teeth there, I've told you that story a thousand times, but uh, it was also the station I was on for many, 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 many years. Um, Hugs, tears, handshakes, and then silence. Uh, employees of WSNG smiled through misty eyes and heavy hearts Friday as the station uh, bid an affectionate farewell to the region it served since 1948. Wow, a long time. But yeah, that's me back in the days of real radio where we did all of our own controlling. We didn't have producers. We had no computers. And it was all, it was one, in fact, right there is a, a turntable. There were two turntables on the side. We didn't use those much any at that point, but they were still there if we needed to. Some shows used to actually come in on vinyl, pressed on vinyl. We'd queue it up and play the shows from a record. Um, some talk shows and religious shows, things like that. But this article uh, was from back then when the station uh, went dark for the last time. It was actually since revised, but it's not really, it's just a rebroadcast crap kind of place. So anyway, yeah, thought I would share that when I saw that because that anniversary was uh, just a couple days ago. Pretty amazing. All right. And one last little bit before we get to Tom Sawyer tonight. It's a piece from the Wall Street Journal. I told you there wasn't anything controversial. Well, I kind of lied. It's semi-controversial, but it's a big congratulations to Malaysia. From the Wall Street Journal, Malaysia called the most corrupt country for business and top bribery table in the world. You can see the chart. Cost of doing business. That big red line at the bottom, 
is us. Followed by Indonesia, the U.S., China, Hong Kong, and Japan. Look how small Japan is. Why am I not surprised? Percentage of companies that say a competitor's bribery has cost them business in the past year. Take a look at that. That's some scary stuff. You see that red line there? Yeah, that's us. You can be proud, Malaysia. Okay. Time to move on. And just in the nick of time. <laughs> Excuse me. As you know, the last thing we do on this show, every episode, bar one or two, uh, we read classic books. We've done them all. Peter Pan, The Wizard of Oz, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland. Uh, we've done a ton of them. You can find them all on our old shows. If you'd like to support us on Patreon.com, as a matter of fact, there's the link right there. Patreon.com slash Sheldon. You can sign up at a certain tier level and you will have access to just the books, chapter or part by part, from the beginning all the way through to the end. And that's an exclusive link to those of you who sign up to support the show at one very small, cheap tier level. So check out our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash jsheldon if you'd like to help out. So we are reading Tom Sawyer now, and uh, we've been doing that for quite a few streams because it's a long book. <laughs> so uh, give me half a second here while I queue up my usual warning before I start reading. We're on chapter 13, by the way. Uh, the Adventures of Tom Sawyer is from 1876, written by, of course, Mark Twain. And it was written in 1876, and I'm warning you that some of the words in this story are, at the time, were considered fine. Nowadays, they are considered vulgar, uh, including the N-word that is used sporadically throughout this book. Uh, we read what's written on the page according to the way Mark Twain originally writ wrote it. It was meant to be read. If that kind of thing offends you, you might want to find something else to do for 15 or 20 minutes or so. So, fair warning. Uh, there are some inappropriate, nowadays inappropriate words. They weren't in 1876. Things change. All right, here we go. It's chapter 13 of the adventures of Tom Sawyer. Tom's mind was made up now. He was gloomy and desperate. He was a forsaken, friendless boy. He said nobody loved him. When they found out what they had driven him to, perhaps they would be sorry. He tried to do right and get along, but they would not let him. Since nothing would do them, uh, them but to be rid of him, so let it be so, and let them blame him for the consequences. Why shouldn't they? What right had the friendless to complain? Yes, they had forced him to do it at last. He would lead a life of crime. There was no choice. By this time, he was far down Meadow Lane, and the bell for school to take up tinkled faintly upon his ear. 
He sobbed now to think he would never, ever hear that old familiar sound anymore. It was very hard, but it was forced on him. Since he was driven out into the cold world, he must submit. But he forgave them. And then the sobs came thick and fast. Just at this point, he met his soul's sworn comrade, Joe Harper. Hard-eyed, with evidently a great and dismal purpose in his heart. Plainly, there were two souls with but a single thought. Tom, wiping his eyes with his sleeve, began to blubber out something about a resolution to escape from hard usage and lack of sympathy at home by roaming abroad into the great world, never to return, and ending by hoping that Joe would not forget him. But it transpired that this was a request which Joe had just been going to make of Tom, and had come to hunt him up for that purpose. His mother had whipped him for drinking some cream, which he had never tasted and knew nothing about it. It was plain that she was tired of him and wished him to go. If she felt that way, well, there was nothing for him to do but succumb. He hoped she would be happy and never regret having driven her poor boy out into the unfeeling world to suffer and die. As the two boys walked sorrowfully along, they made a new compact to stand by each other and be brothers and never separate till death relieved them of their troubles. And then they began to lay their plans. Joe was for being a hermit, living on crusts in a remote cave and dying sometime of cold and want and grief. But after listening to Tom, he conceded that there were some conspicuous advantages about a life of crime. So he consented to be a pirate. Three miles below St. Petersburg, at a point where the Mississippi River was a trifle over a mile wide, there was a long, narrow wooden island with a shallow bar at the head of it, and this offered well as a rendezvous. It was not inhabited. It lay far over toward the further shore, abreast a dense and almost wholly unpeopled forest. So Jackson's Island was chosen. Who were to be the subjects of their piracies was a matter that did not occur to them. And then they hunted up Huckleberry Finn, and he joined them promptly, for all careers were one to him. He was indifferent. They presently separated to meet at a lonely spot on the riverbank two miles above the village at the favorite hour, which was midnight. There was a large log raft there which they meant to capture, each would bring back hooks and lines and such provisions as he could steal in the most dark and mysterious way, as became outlaws. And before the afternoon was done, they had all managed to enjoy the sweet glory that's spreading the fact that pretty soon the town would hear something. All who got this vague hint were cautioned to be mum and wait. Just about midnight, Tom arrived with a boiled ham and a few trifles, and stopped in a dense undergrowth on a small bluff overlooking the meeting place. 
It was starlight and very still. The mighty river lay like an ocean at rest. Tom listened a moment, but no sound disturbed the quiet. Then he gave a low, distinct whistle. It was answered from under the bluff. Tom whistled once more, and these signals were answered in the same way. And then a guarded voice said, Who goes there? Tom Sawyer, a black avenger of the Spanish main. Name your names. Huck Finn, the red-handed, and Joe Harper, the terror of the seas. Tom had furnished these titles from his favorite literature. "'Tis well. Give the countersign." Two hoarse whispers delivered the same awful words simultaneously to the brooding night. Blood! And then Tom tumbled his ham over the bluff and let himself down after it, tearing both skin and clothes to some extent in the effort. There was an easy, comfortable path along the shore, under the bluff, but it lacked the advantages of difficulty and danger so valued by a pirate. The terror of the seas had brought a side of bacon and had about worn himself out getting it there. Finn the red-handed had stolen a skillet and a quantity of half-cured leaf tobacco and had also brought a few corn cobs to make pipes with. But none of the pirates smoked or chewed but himself. The Black Avenger of the Spanish Main said it would never do to start without some fire. And that was a wise thought. Matches were hardly known there in that day, and they saw a fire smoldering upon a great raft a hundred yards above. And they went stealthily thither and helped themselves to a chunk. They made an imposing adventure of it, saying, Hist! every now and then, and suddenly halting with a finger on the lips, moving with hands on imaginary dagger hilts, and giving orders in dismal whispers that if the foe stirred, let him have it to the hilt, because dead men tell no tales. They knew very well that the raftsmen were all down at the village, laying in stores or having a spree, but still... That was no excuse for their conducting this thing in an unpiratical way. They shoved off presently, Tom in command, Huck at the aft oar, and Joe at the forward. Tom stood amidships, gloomy, browed, with folding arms, and gave his orders in low, stern whisper. Luft, and bring her to the wind. Aye, sir. Steady, steady. Steady it is, sir. Let her go off a point. Point it is, sir, as the boys steadily and monotonously drove the raft towards midstream. It was no doubt understood that these orders were given only for style, and they weren't intended to mean anything in particular. What sails she carrying? Courses, topsails, flying jibs, sir. Send your yipples up. Lay out aloft there, half a dozen of ye. Four top mastins, lively now. Aye, aye, sir. Shake out that mantagallons. Sheets and braces now, my hearties. Aye, aye, sir. 
Heliumalee, hard a port, stand by to meet her when she comes. Port, port, now, men, will ya? Steady! Steady it is, sir. The draft, the, the raft drew beyond the middle of the river, and the boys pointed her head right and then lay on their oars. The river wasn't high, so there wasn't more than two or three mile current. Hardly a word was said during the next three quarters of an hour. And now the raft was passing before the distinct town. Two or three glimmering lights showed where it lay, peacefully sleeping beyond the vague, vast sweep of star-gemmed water, unconscious of the tremendous event that was happening. The Black Avenger stood still with folded arms, looking his last upon the scene of his former joys and his later sufferings, and wishing she could see him now, abroad on the wild sea, facing peril and death with dauntless heart, going to his doom with a grim smile lips. It was but a small strain on his imagination to remove Jackson's island beyond eyeshot of the village, and so he looked his last, with a broken but satisfied heart. The other pirates were looking their last, too, and they all looked so long that they came near letting the current drift them out of the range of the island, but they discovered the danger in time and made a shift to avert it. About two o'clock in the morning, the raft grounded on the bar, two hundred yards above the head of the island, and they waded back and forth until they'd landed their freight. Part of the little rail's belonging consisted of an old sail, and this they spread over a nook in the bushes for a tent to shelter their provisions. But they themselves would sleep in the open air in good weather, as became outlaws. They built a fire against the side of a great log, twenty or thirty steps within the somber depths of the forest, and then cooked some bacon in the frying pan for supper. It seemed a glorious sport to be feasting in that wild, free way in the virgin forest of an unexplored and uninhabited island far away from the haunts of men, and they said they would never return to civilization. Their climbing fire lit up their faces and threw its ruddy glare upon the pillared tree trunks of the forest temple and upon the varnished foliage and festooning vines. When the last crisp slice of bacon was gone and the last allowance of corn pone devoured, the boys stretched themselves out on the grass, filled with contentment. They could have found a cooler place, but they would not deny themselves such a romantic feature as a roasting campfire. Ain't it gay, said Joe. It's nuts, said Tom. What would the boys say if they could see us? Say? Well, they'd die just to be here, hey, Hucky? Mm, I reckon so, said Hucky. Anyways, I'm suited. Don't want nothing better than this. I didn't ever get to eat enough, generally. Here they can't come and pick at a fellow and bullyrag him so. I reckon so. 
It's just the life for me, said Tom. You, you don't have to get up mornings, and you don't have to go to school and wash and all that blame foolishness. You see, a pirate don't have to do anything. Joe, when he's ashore, but he's a hermit, he has to be praying considerable, and then he don't have any fun anyway, all by himself that way. Oh, yes, that's so, said Joe, but I hadn't thought much about it, you know. I'd a good deal rather be a pirate now that I've tried it. You see, said Tom, people don't go much on hermits nowadays, and they used to in the old times, but a pirate's always respected, and a, a hermit's got to sleep on the hardest place he can find, and put a sackcloth and ashes on his head, and stand out in the rain, and... What does he put a sackcloth and ashes on his head for, inquired Huck. I don't know, but they've got to do it. Hermits always do. You'd, you'd have to do that if you was a hermit. Turned if I would, said Huck. Well, what would you do? Mm, I don't know, but I wouldn't do that. Well, Huck, you'd have to. How'd you get around it? Why, I just wouldn't stand it. I'd run away. Run away? Well, you would be a nice old slouch of a hermit. You'd be a disgrace. The hand, red-handed, made no response, being better employed. He'd finished gouging out a cob, and now he fitted a weed stem to it, loaded it with tobacco, and pressed a coal to the charge, and cloud a blowing a cloud of fragrant smoke. He was in the full bloom of luxurious contentment. The other pirates envied him in his majestic voice, and secretly resolved to acquire it shortly. Presently, Huck said, what does pirates have to do? Tom said, oh, they just have a bully time. Take ships, burn them, get the money, and bury it in awful places on their island where there's ghosts and things to watch it. Kill everybody in the ships and make them walk the plank. And they carry the women to the island, said Joe. They don't kill the women. No, assented Tom. They don't kill the women. They're too noble. And the women's always beautiful, too. Oh, and they don't, uh, don't they wear the bulliest clothes? Oh, no, all gold and silver and diamonds, said Joe with enthusiasm. Who, said Huck. Why, the pirates. Huck scanned his own clothing forlornly. Mm, I reckon I ain't dressed fitting for a pirate, said he with a regretful pathos in his voice. But I ain't got none. But these, the other boys told him the fine clothes would come fast enough, and they should have begun their adventures. He made him understand that his poor rags would do well to begin with, though it was customary for wealthy pirates to start with a proper wardrobe. Gradually their talk died out. Drowsiness began to steal upon the eyelids of the little waifs. The pipe dropped from the fingers of the red-handed, and he slept the sleep of the conscious free and the weary. The terror of the seas and the black adventure of the Spanish main had more difficulty getting to sleep. They said they had a mind not to say them at all. With uh, There was nobody there with authority to make them kneel and recite aloud. In truth, they had a mind not to say them at all, but... They were afraid to proceed to such lengths as that, lest they might call down a sudden and special thunderbolt from heaven. 
And then, at once, they reached and hovered upon the imminent verge of sleep. But an intruder came now that would not down. It was conscience. They began to feel a vague fear that what they'd been doing wrong to run away. And next they thought of the stolen meat. Then the real torture came. They tried to argue it away by reminding conscious that they had purloined sweetmeats and apples scores of times. But conscience was not to be appeased by such thin plausibilities. It seemed to them in the end that there was no getting around the stubborn fact that taking sweetmeats was only hooking, while taking bacon and hands and such valuables was plain, simple stealing. And there was a command against that in the Bible. So they inwardly resolved that so long as they remained in the business, their piracies should not again be sullied with the crime of stealing. Then, conscience granted a truce, and these curiously inconsistent pirates fell peacefully to sleep. <laughs> wow. Accompanied by Miko's howling in the background, that was chapter 13 of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. All right, friends, we'll see you again on Saturday night. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And uh, until next time, I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs>